So really, anybody dreaming of this industry, it's not what you think. You're going to listen to these stories, and you're going to find out it's not what you think. But uh, let's, let's, let's let the stories tell themselves. Black news, Blasian news. <laughs> what the hell happened with Amory? Let's go to Impressive's hey channel to find Welcome out to what the heck happened. Channel. Let okay. me tell you, I did an Amory uh, retrospective, and this girl, it's not always about having big notes or how high you sing or how many scales you do. It's a, there's a spiritual star quality that you just can't, um, some people, you just have it, you know, and she had it. And I was like, it didn't make any sense that she just disappeared. And I don't know what made me look her up. And, uh, impressive has this story. So let's let's follow up on this and see what happened uh, with Amory. She's still so young, and I just look. She looks the same as she always did. I don't understand. I don't understand that you know people are looking for for people that have that energy, and I I don't know. I don't know what's going do on. A music documentary on the R&B pop singer and songwriter Amory. Amory's disappearance from the music scene is a mystery considering that she ushered in a unique musical sound that influenced some of the biggest names in music. Amory's catchy hooks, sugary melodies, and nuanced ad-libs and drew in many music lovers and captivated the ears of her peers. She was the first one to come on with the band like that and the way she came on with the energy, I mean, I don't want to say anything, but she really, some people stole some stuff from this girl. Amory was a college student at Georgetown University and she's when smart. she linked up with her music producer, Rich Harrison. Come on, Together, man. the two created a unique twist oh, on R&B by infusing it with addictive hip-hop loops and rhythmic go-go elements. Through creative music demos with Rich Harrison, Amory landed her record deal with Columbia Records. So we just sat in the car, he played me some of his instrumentals. And then I sang him some of the stuff that I'd written. And I was like, oh, that track, I need that. Because I was like, I need my R&B with some hip hop in it. You want the band sound I and need, the production. Yeah, I need, I, need, I need percussion, I need drums, I need aggressive music. And it was like the perfect. And we recorded a lot of those songs like in the basement. Ooh. You know, a lot of the songs on All I Have were recorded with me sitting on the back of a sofa. Sure. Yeah, we just have great chemistry. Like, we make really good music together. We... In 2001, Amory began to collaborate with hip-hop artists like Nas and more. Yeah. Uh. In 2002, 
Amory released her gold-selling album, All I Have, which produced summertime hits like Why Don't We Fall in Love and Talking to Me. Received a very positive reception, and Amory and Rich became the new dynamic duo in urban music. Amory became Happy the go to RB artist Happy for hip hop collaborations, which made her somewhat this reminiscent of Mary J. Blige. And people are like, oh, why don't you just put your stuff out? Oh, you're afraid. No, I'm looking with both my eyes open at a very beautiful person that had all her stuff out and what happened. This is, this is why, this is why I don't give them anything. Amory didn't waste time. I don't care what they think I look like because I know what I can look like and it's not here for these other people to be a freestylist for them. Come on, girl. ...in her new success because she was ready to create and write music for her second album. Uh -oh. Amory had a vision of including heavier percussions and stronger brass sounds in her music. And Rich Harrison was the musical genius to get it done. However, Rich had other demands. He started working with artists like Kelly Rowland, who borrowed Rich and Amory's signature sound for uh -oh. her song, Can't Nobody. worked with Beyonce and produced one of her biggest records to date called Crazy in, in Love. Love. She's doing her choreography. Oh. Now you use the same producer as um, Beyonce Crazy in Love mm -hmm. and I hear the similarities. It's the go-go. It's but but I had the go-go in the last album. Well, but you're, it was you're like, a DC girl so you know yeah, the go-go. So, yeah, it was, it was good. Meanwhile, Amory oh, had to deal with a few so obstacles wrong. when releasing her first single from her second album. Executives at Sony Columbia Records were dissatisfied with Amory's first choice single called One Thing. Amory tried to revise the song for their liking, but they wouldn't approve. So Amory took it into her own hands to push her own single. This magazine's reporting that you had to really fight to get your label to be behind you on this project and on one thing. Is that true? If you're not from D.C. or from Maryland or Virginia, you hear it and you're like, okay, but go-go music is very much still a part of that area. So, you know, they weren't really sure if people were going to get it. But label at the time. Okay, why you shouldn't and why you really can't steal somebody's thing that like comes from where who they are and where they come from you could try to cop it but you're not going to be on that vibration no matter what you do you're not going to be this this is where she's from didn't want to put one thing out as the single um, is that yeah. correct that they weren't yeah. supportive of the record no they weren't supportive of the record because they didn't get it yeah. but i just had to like believe in it myself so you're really and, fighting and against the tide to to push that track I mean, we through put, we, we put we put the song out yeah. ourselves but we just kind of just got the dj list together and put it out worked your own record and then oh, once the label saw it was like picking up oh, and actually it picked up in the uk really really fast massively yeah, yeah, yeah. very quickly like amory's label mate jennifer lopez wanted to take the song one thing for herself 
but the radio stations were already spinning Amory's record, so the label decided not to give it to Jennifer. And the label eventually promoted the single once they saw the feedback it was getting. One thing is Amory's biggest record to date. The unique go-go hip-hop and R&B sound became a part of Amory's signature music production. And her Rich Harrison recreated samples for Amory and produced music that resonated with R&B and hip-hop bands. Additionally, Amory's signature vocals, catchy riffs, and harmonies became a part of her musical identity. Her second album, Touch, is regarded as one of the best and most musically advanced albums in 2005, and it was certified gold, and it also earned her two Grammy nominations. Emery was the next big rising artist on Columbia Records, and she delivered energetic performances on stage. She had the talent, the stage presence, and the look. However, Columbia Records were undergoing some major changes, and despite Amory's success, she was suddenly neglected because she was a new artist. The label still prioritized their bigger artists like Beyonce and Jennifer Lopez. Not to mention, Amory and Rich Harrison's signature sound became all the rave in music, and a lot of artists wanted that Amory-inspired go-go sound. This is how they steal people's music. Waking up, public. All of these people that do not understand why I do what I do, which you don't understand, first of all, if you're a person that I don't know how much music this girl, how much is coming from the girl, Amory, and how much comes from her producers. But what comes out of me, I'm in every part of my music. The couple of tracks that I produced that this guy, my supposed ex and his friends heard and deconstructed, they used for everybody. They took that and then they tried to tell everybody that I wasn't a hard worker, that I couldn't do this, that I couldn't do that. They stole this girl's stuff. And I'm trying to tell you that I'm preventing that from... They still don't have... They cloned these two little girls, Hallie and Chloe, to try to steal my stuff. And they still don't have it. They still do not have it. And they're not going to have it until I get my fair shot the way that I need to have it for me to do what I need to do. But you people in the public, you need to wake it the hell up. That these people are thieves. And they try to copy everything that they can. And it's not right. Musicians are huge celebrities. Their music is everywhere. Their face. Oh, it just came back on. I didn't even do anything.
Musicians are huge celebrities. Their music is everywhere, their faces are everywhere, and their lives are seemingly perfect at all times. But there's a lot more going on in a musician's life and career. Here are some secrets musicians would rather you didn't know about them. Phony artistic cred. Most musicians want you to think they write songs by themselves, or at least played a very heavy part in creating them. The sad truth is, many write next to nothing, and their byline exists simply for the artist to get paid. Oftentimes, the singer merely contributes one or two words, which technically makes them a co-writer. Sometimes, they don't even bother with that much effort. Songwriter Chantel Kreviazek accused Avril Lavigne of writing little that she's been credited for. She later walked those claims back, but it's a little late for that. Then there's Lauren Hill, who got sued by the songwriting team that helped her put together 1998's The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Her label credited Hill as writing most everything by herself, which the lawsuit claimed simply was not the case. They later settled out of court, but smoke suggests fire. Fake Personas Few things hurt a musician's reputation more than not being perceived as real or genuine. So many stars craft a persona that makes them seem more real, even though doing so makes them as fake as can be. This happens in all genres, from country stars pretending to be down-to-earth regular folk to metal bands pretending to be dark and evil. Slayer acts like death-obsessed maniacs, when in truth, their singer is a practicing Catholic. Fake personas may be most egregious in hip-hop, a genre obsessed with realness. Take someone like Rick Ross, a former prison guard named William Roberts, who reinvented himself as an ex-cocaine boss. In truth, he borrowed that origin story from an actual drug dealer named Rick Ross. The real Ross sued the fake Ross for $10 million, which proved unsuccessful because apparently impersonation of a drug dealer is not a crime. Rapper Akon also got caught lying about his past when the smoking gun revealed his backstory of being the kingpin of a car theft ring. What kind of world is it that they actually have better shots pretending that they were in jail? years in prison was an outright lie. It was just another tall tale designed to sell albums. That helped them sell albums! Making ends meet. If your goal is to make money from music, here's a reality check. It's probably not going to happen. Thanks to downloading and streaming, virtually no musicians make money simply from writing, recording, and releasing music. Uh Instead, be prepared. No, but that's what they're always telling. Oh, just put your stuff out there and you just... Yeah, no, I don't think so. No. To make your fortune through many other routes, some of which aren't glamorous in the least. Which I can do now anyway without even doing that. If musicians make their money by touring, but for many, that simply isn't enough. That's why you see so many pop stars shilling their own lines of perfume and cologne, clothing lines, or anything else beyond a simple t-shirt with the artist's picture on it. They don't really care if you smell good, they just want to pay their bills. Beyonce found quite a bit of inspiration from Amory's Touch album, and she used it on her B-Day oh, Deluxe album. And stole her my song, picture, Rainbow, which was produced by she Pharrell, stole my picture kept- and my hairstyle for the album. Hello, don't make me dig up that picture. They stole everything. And they didn't send no checks to anybody and didn't share any credit. You people in the public, you better wake it up. Because these people that are getting accolades for all the work don't do all the work. And you really should. It's, it's not right. It's not right.
that you act like you don't know what's going on. Inspired by Amory and Rich Harrison's One Thing. a new trend in music and had her peers imitating her work, Amory wasn't amused. Her artistry was crucial to her and it was something that set her apart from everyone else. Oh my God, she look at her eyes. melodies for all of her music. Oh my God, look at the pain in this girl's eyes. Public, I don't care what you think about me. I will stand up for myself and I will keep proclaiming yeah, you know what? I did this. I did this. This is who I am. And I'm not going to let them lie on me. And you can think whatever you want about me. But this girl, look at this girl. Look at this girl. And see if, the, if, if what I'm saying did not happen to this girl. Frustrating that her peers were suddenly taking from her. My style, my aggression on the track. Would y'all chicks know y'all wasn't singing like that? Oh! Alleged diss to several artists. She subtly called out the track. chase that track. Pay a hundred sack. But, but you can't, can't buy my sound. Can't came my flow. Can't bag my swag. No! And your hair is real. Was it a point where no. you thought Beyonce That's was trying terrible. to imitate you? Artists, we're all in dialogue with each other. So you can't say, oh, well, I have no influences. It's like, we're, we're all influenced by old music and current music. However, Amory's main issues weren't with other artists, but it was with the label. Amory wanted to leave Columbia Records because she was dissatisfied with the way they were handling her career. She's gorgeous. Also, Amory and Rich Harrison temporarily parted ways due to creative differences. With lots of difficulty, Amory released her third and final album on Columbia Records called Because I Love It. And it produced an international hit called Gotta Work. Every track that I hear from this girl, it's not even the track. This is what people don't get. It's not the track. It's the person, the essence of the person. You cannot copy the essence of the person. She is spiritually free. When you hear Amory, when you see Amory, whatever it is she's doing, there is a light from inside. She's free. That's all I can tell. It just sounds refreshing. Whatever it is, it doesn't even matter what it is. It doesn't even matter what it is. But how blatant. That these people think that they could do this is unbelievable. With some luck, Amory and her team were able to negotiate with Ellen Reed, oh and she God. ended up leaving Columbia, and she went to Def Jam Records. Oh. From there, her music was taking a new creative turn. In 2009, she released her album In Love and War, which included singles like Why Are You and more. Why are you the only thing that I care about? Why are you the only thing that I care about? 
Okay, so what they did, the vibe. Okay, I'm not going to teach them anything. But I know what the hell happened. I know what happened. Damn. They stole her sound, her face. This person said they... I'm not, I'm not saying it. I'm not confirming, denying, whatever. But this person put... They stole her face. Courtney Kardashian stole her face. She refused to sell her soul. Oh my God. Somebody put, okay, conspiracy theorist. Stop. Oh no. Oh, they appear. Oh, 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 is that why she disappeared? Damn. Moment of silence. She was progressive in defining music. Oh no, this person says, notice that the person who will not be named music is different now because she no longer has pioneers to steal from. Wow. R&B music is nothing like it was because of this. I gotta say that's true. And what else did they say? Her special sound got abused and used in a good way, but still stolen. Um, if you really look at Amory, look at her, yes, her flow, her style, her everything. I didn't even realize how many people jacked this girl's style. Wow. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm just having a moment of silence reading this. Is like, this is like some, this is like a loss for us. What, what created, creatively would this girl have done? And I think that the material that they had her singing subsequently was not a match. And that's why it wasn't a success. If you are making someone sing songs they don't want to sing that doesn't resonate with them and then you're going to punish them and be like, oh, it didn't sell. Who forced them to sing that garbage? When she sang what she wanted to sing, that was fire. Despite the musical soundness of her album, the sales were disappointing. After that, Amory quietly left Def Jam and she became an independent artist. Because, you know, I have my own company um, with my husband and my business partner, and he has his own company as well. If he does an album for you, he's got to give you the sound first, right? He can't be throwing it to the other lady. <laughs> well, we create, we have our own sound. We create our own sound. And even though we've done that before, you know, if you hear it, you know where you heard it first. So. I could help you, girl. Seriously. I could help you. She continued to work on music projects like her EP, Somatica, Billy, and The Prelude, and she teased her fans with some singles. In 2015, Amory collaborated with longtime partner Rich Harrison and released her EP called Drive. Her leading single off the EP was called Out Loud. Oh, 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 
has been quiet in the music scenes, she has been collecting royalty checks by releasing her music to games like Grand Theft Auto and different movies and TV shows. Also, Amory started a beauty and book channel on YouTube and she became an author. Her first book of her series is a thriller novel called Because You Hate to Love Me, 13 Tales of Villainy. No, because the you link love to buy to the hate book me. is available in my description. It's called Because You Love to Hate Me. Down below. Now, first of all, you can see whatever you say. This person is a writer. This person writes their own stuff. Do these other people write their own stuff? Do they really? It's not about talent. I, I don't think it's about talent. God and Lisa. Bill was already... So, I don't care what anybody thinks. I, I guess there's a lot of stuff I didn't know about what really, really goes on. I'd be damned if I would let any of these people intimidate me. Hell no upset that Felicia had gotten pregnant during the show's third season and had to conceal her pregnancy during episode tapings. Bill blamed her then-husband Ahmad Rashad for ruining the show. The tension between Lisa and Bill started when Lisa did an explicit sex scene in the 1987 what film the Angel heck? Heart and posed naked in she eating a bird? View Magazine and Rolling Stone Magazine without cooking it. He saw that those images would ruin the image of Denise Huxtable. There were also reports about her being consistently argumentative on set, late for tapings, and sometimes being a no-show for tapings altogether. And it aggravated Bill. Her and rock singer Lenny Kravitz eloped in Vegas, and Lisa became pregnant in 1988, right before the second season began taping. Her and Debbie Allen announced the pregnancy to Bill, and Debbie began discussing ways to write the pregnancy into the script and have a storyline of a young black mother in college. But he was not having it. He didn't feel that being a pregnant teenager out of wedlock would fit the image of Denise Huxtable. So he fired her from a different world and rehired her for The Cosby Show. Denise Huxtable returned to The Cosby Show for an episode after dropping out of college. Her pregnancy was concealed with loose clothes and grocery bags. Lisa was absent from season 5 of The Cosby Show to ensure that viewers would not see her pregnant. Debbie also wanted to keep Maggie's character to focus on a white girl's experience at an HBCU and interracial dating. When Denise returned to The Cosby Show in the 6th season, the character had secretly married a naval officer and she became the stepmother to his 3-year-old daughter Olivia, played by Raven Simone. I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't know any of this stuff. For Thanksgiving dinner and her mother being furious that there's a white girl in the house. Ooh! What? I was excited by that because I was looking at I was looking at it as the opposite from my own personal experience. I had been the only black kid in a ballet school. The only black Happy kid, only you know, da, 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 da. So what must that be like? Because when I went to Howard University, we had one white student, talented and that would be very interesting. I had pitched in it. I had even pitched the idea of Dwayne Wayne taking her home for Thanksgiving dinner and her mother being furious that there's a white girl in the house. Ooh! With Debbie Allen now producing the show, she transformed a different world wow. from an unfunny struggling sitcom to a she, black sitcom classic. Wow. The show introduced a new show opener with the same the theme song, but now with Aretha Franklin singing it. I know my parents loved me. Stand behind me, come on, Oh, wait, I remember this. 
second season, she extended the black cast by adding Charlene Brown and Cree Summer as the new hippie girl oh, on the campus. Since Denise Huxtable dropped out, the show needed a new protagonist. Whitley and Dwayne, played by Jasmine Guy and Kadeem Hardison, took over as lead characters and Whitley quickly became a favorite for viewers. She was a loud Southern belle that had an on-again, off-again relationship with Dwayne. Those two were the only cast members to remain on the show all six seasons. Sinbad and, and Daryl M. Bell were both promoted to main cast members, and the show now had a predominantly black student body. Debbie gave the show a more realistic adult approach at HBCU and put her experiences at Howard University into the show. She would take the writing staff on trips to HBCUs where they spoke to staff and students to discuss issues that could be used in future episodes. Debbie believed that political awareness was important for a show centered around a historical black college. A Different World taught its viewers lessons on taboo topics like racism, sexual assault, culture, sexism, colorism, shopping while black, domestic violence, black women stereotypes, and the AIDS epidemic. How many degrees I get? All you people see is color. Your grandfather was an immigrant. You're American. My grandfather was born here, Duke. And you people still look at me as just another nigga. Man, what you talking about is race? No, no, Walter, this isn't some wacko in the bushes with a raincoat. Wow, that was interesting. I don't know the uh, the volume. Another thing dropped. that caught viewers' attention was the style of the cast that exuded the black aesthetic of the late 1980s and early 1990s. Each character's style was tailored to match their characteristics, thanks to the show's costume designer, Ceci. The show also had roles for a number of up-and-coming actors and artists like Holly Berry, Alfonso Ribeiro, Jada Pinkett, The Boys, and Criss Cross. The show ended its run after six seasons in 1993, with a now-married Whitley and Dwayne announcing that they're expecting their first child. In the mid-2010s, more than 60 women accused Bill Cosby of drug-facilitated sexual assault dating back to the mid-1960s. He was found guilty on three counts of aggravated indecent assault and was sentenced to three to ten years in state prison. These allegations tarnished his legacy and affected the Cosby show, resulting in the reruns being pulled. The cancellations of the reruns also affected the show's cast as they weren't able to receive royalties. In 2018, Lisa Bonet told the Net Reporter website that she was never assaulted by Bill, but she had no knowledge of his alleged actions, nor was she surprised. She says, But there was just energy, and that type of sinister shadow energy cannot be concealed. And when asked if she sensed a darkness, she said, Always. And if I had anything more to reveal, then it would have happened a long time ago. That's my nature. The truth will set you free. I don't need to say I told you so. I just leave all that to karma and justice and what will be. But luckily, a different world survived Bill Cosby's downfall. Had Lisa Bonet stayed on the show, keeping it directly tied to the Cosby show, a different world would have probably suffered. While many people blamed her for Lisa's firing, Debbie Allen did an amazing job revamping the show, taking creative risks, and making it more meaningful and separating it from The Cosby Show. A Different World provided uplifting and positive storylines of African-American life at black colleges and helped boost the enrollment at HBCUs. Dr. Walter M. Kimbrough, president of Dillard University, told the New York Times in 2010, 
During the same time period, historically black colleges and universities grew by 24.3% to 44%, better than all the higher education. I didn't get it at the time. I, I really thought the show was, was entertaining and funny. Yeah. But I, I, you didn't realize I the genius really, of it. No, no I don't think any of us. Well, Debbie it. Allen directed the series, and there's talk that she wants to re resurrect this. Would It'd be the smartest move ever. You think so? Yes. You think so? I mean, I thought it should have never ended. You know, you I was, I thought I should have, I should have left. But I you thought you should have left. Yeah, oh, yeah. I did. Yeah. At the end, at the end, I was ready to go, but I thought the show should have stayed on. Well, Debbie Allen's here. A different world displayed a variety of black identities and gave viewers unapologetically blackness and viewers felt the pride of those characters. Debbie Allen has since expressed interest in rebooting A Different World, but honestly, A Different World's legacy already speaks for itself. Would you guys be here for A Different World reboot? Let me know in the comments below your opinions and make sure you like this video and subscribe to this channel for more content. This girl, Hello, impressive. <laughs> she's she's doing everybody's. Oh God! Biggest breakout stars in 2009. Remember the hits she had? I wanted to do this video because I do feel like Carrie Hilson is somewhat unsung because she did a lot for music between 2006 and 2011. What people don't know is Carrie Hilson was set to be the next big R&B pop superstar after Beyonce and Rihanna took the music scene by storm. Carrie started her music career in the background, working with producers like Paula the Dawn and Timbaland. She was also a background vocalist for many artists, including Sierra, Britney Spears, Usher, Ludacris, Kelly Rowland, Tony Braxton, you name it. Carrie was also a prolific songwriter and she wrote many hits for different artists. lyrics and brilliant melodies meshed well with Timbaland's genius and heavily layered production. Their musical sound was way ahead of its time. Carrie Hilson officially became a breakout star when she did a feature with Timbaland on the hit song called The Way I Are. <laughs> After this, Carrie became a hot commodity and she was featured everywhere. she dropped her first album, In a Perfect World. The album was a perfect mix between pop, R&B, and hip-hop. Her song, Turn Me On, featuring Lil Wayne, was the perfect record to reach her urban hip-hop fan base. The song, Love Knocks You Down, featuring Kanye and Neo, was a groundbreaking hit for Carrie. 
The song helped her album sell close to 100,000 in the first week. Sometimes Perfect World was eventually certified gold in the U.S. Carrie was now considered one of the biggest female artists in 2009. She was often compared to Beyonce, Rihanna, and Sierra, but she had a new sound and a new look and a fresh vibe. She was the confident new girl that had everyone singing her songs. However, Carrie's confidence may have spilled over into slight cockiness. Her self-assured attitude rubbed some people the wrong way. Behind the scenes, she had to deal with the politics of the music industry, and there were a few artists in particular that she had a problem with, allegedly. Beyonce was one of them. Carrie Hilson wrote a remix for Usher's popular hit, Love in This Club, and she was supposed to be featured on it. However, Usher's team replaced her with Beyonce. Wow. Beyonce sang Carrie's parts and allegedly took partial credit for writing the song. Carrie was heated about this, and she even talked about it. to leak a diss song called Turning Me Off, which was a remix to her hit song called Turning Me On. In the song, Carrie made an obvious diss to Beyonce. Your vision cloudy if you think that you're the best. You can dance, she can sing, but need to move it. Don't do it to me. Oh, oh. oh, wow. Carrie also dissed Sierra on the song, more than likely for the same reason she was dissing Beyonce. Go ahead and tell these folks how long I've been watching your song. I've been putting you out. Just check the credits, ho. Oh. I probably assumed that going at Beyonce and Sierra would be interesting for her career. However, it did backfire because little did she know, Beyonce had a lot of power in the industry and Sierra had a lot of die-hard stands. Carrie's newfound stardom was suddenly tainted with oh, industry no. drama and attacks from Beyonce and Sierra fans. Who the f is Carrie Hilson? The bitch that sings is going to diss Beyonce! Oh my god. Beyonce! Did you Are these people crazy? So there's a rumor going on that um, Polo to Don uh -huh. talked to you into the studio. 
leaked a record that's considered a diss song for Beyonce and Sierra. Is that true? It's considered that. Um, yes, Polo had this idea. So nobody can fight back. And that's okay with the public. You think that's okay? That certain people can just monopolize whatever if they pay for it and other talented people that are really writing all the songs. They didn't know that I could write. They didn't know and they assumed that I couldn't. And they were trying to say that I didn't until I just started doing it all the time and people hear me doing it all the time. So there's not much that they, can pro they, can't, they can't slander that. People hear me coming up with stuff all the time. But it's a question of finances. And so I just hope the public, I hope you guys are listening to what's really going on. This is not about me. You need to understand what it is for any regular human being that is not already famous, what is going on. Um, no, he did not leak it. It's not the version Polo wanted out. Okay. Um, especially the version with him talking all over it. You know, it sounds like he's instigating something and, <laughs> and giving more meaning into the lyrics than were initially intended. Um, but no, he didn't like force me to do anything. I mean, it was a suggestion and I told him, okay, I'll try it. Um, yes, I heard specific names being brought up. No, it's not about that. No. Sierra even responded to her diss track in her song, You Got Me. Say you weren't talking about me, but I know that you was talking about me. Some people thought you were taking shots at maybe Carrie Hilson on that record. That record right there is a song that I dedicated to my haters. To clear her name, Carrie called up Sierra during an interview and tried to assure her that there was no beef. No, I, want, I just want to let every Atlanta know and Sierra know, you know, that this is a true league. I did Polo knows, like I, I don't know if he said that on the radio, but I did fight this coming out. I'm, just tell Sierra, like, it's not, it's not about you, it's not about nobody, it is about haters. So, you know, people are just re reading way too far into it, I think. And, um, you know, that's just a byproduct of, of this industry, with how people just kind of take things and make it what they want it to be. And it's a shame that they do that, but, you know, that was never the energy behind it. It was taking shots at nobody. So cool. I mean, I guess yeah. everybody's here to listen to what Carrie said, and I take it for that, you know. Yeah. And and and, and like I, you know, like I say, my end has always been nothing but love, you know, for exactly. you. I'm I'm very, you know, I, I was very happy for you to get, you know, to get where you are, like, or to get just yeah. to get everything to get, you know what I mean? So I, I know that's sincere, and it, it is the same coming from me. When I tell you that I'm proud of you. I do support Sierra and everything she does. It's always Atlanta love. We finally sat down and talked, you know, talked and, and had the conversation that needed to be had for a while. And it's all love. It's, it's all Very support, important. Mutual support. Known Carrie for years. Right. Since years. And I'll tell you that it takes more humility and graciousness for you as an artist, if somebody's writing you hit songs or you have a stylist that really gets you um, or you even have like a parent or uh, your mom, assistant, anybody that is consistently 
bringing value to your bottom line, even if it's just always supporting you in everything that you do, you know, I would say, and if you notice, this is what I'm showing, despite all the things that people try to say that, you know, I don't even know what people say, but one thing about me is that anybody, um, that is providing me with a value, um, everything that I get, if I'm, if people are coming to my show, looking at my show, um, coming to my social media or whatever, all of my friends get put on, put it that way. I, I don't feel like I have to be the only one who shines. If, if, and, and like, this is something that I had to try to understand, even as a comedian too, like, you know, let's say you have somebody that writes for you that is out of sight. I can understand how that could be like a very dependent situation, which would like, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, but you should want to bless everybody that is on with you because they can just turn around and keep blessing you. And that blessing is going to keep coming back at you. Do you know what I mean? Like no matter how big you are, you're already bigger than, you know, anything, anywhere. True humility would be like, yeah, this person wrote this song. That doesn't, you know, just because you're a great singer, you're already famous. You already have every accolade. Do you have to be like, you know, if somebody helps me in something, like anybody that I feature on my show and they help make the episodes great, you're going to probably hear me always talking about them. And if they handle that area and they always bring their value, they always do their thing, you, you're going to hear the name in my mouth all the time. I'm gonna, It's going to be like nonstop, you know, and it's not because... Um, I'm the kind of person, this is what they didn't like, that I don't, I don't butt kiss people. I don't name drop. I don't butt kiss. I don't, but if someone truly brings me value, I say it when I, when I really mean it, you know, and if that person is bringing, always bringing value to me and my audience, you're going to constantly be like, yeah, well, you know what I think about this? You know what, who I think thinks about this good, this person. You're, I will never lie about that. You will never have somebody, you know, and then there's times when there's people that I'm not even crazy about. I don't even like them. But if their song does the best job in terms of uh, the, the uh, film or the project or whatever it is that I'm trying to do, I can put my ego away to be like, you know what? This person's the best person for that. No matter what I think about them personally, you know, I don't do stuff like that. And so that's who I am. And I'm, that's, that's who I'm telling the audience, no matter what these people are saying, you see who I am. But what I'm seeing, I'm learning, and I guess this is like perfect timing, is that I'm learning that not a lot of people, not everybody is like that. But it's very, very stupid because if you want to stay on top. And, um, even if you are a good songwriter, why would you ever want to alienate good songwriters? Anybody could write a song for you that would be amazing. And if they feel like you're going to take all the credit or you're going to whatever, why the hell should they give it to you? You know, like, like I'm an, I'm an actress and I write, but if somebody else 
has a great character that I like, that I feel fits me. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm the only one. I'm not saying that. If it, if it's good, if it's the right fit, if it's good. But um, wow, you guys are seeing in real time that I'm learning that not everything, not everything works the way that you know you might think that it does. So now we're going to look at uh, the Pussycat Dolls. I just, I know, we're not going to go into it too long. It's not too long. But what was interesting to me, I forgot what I was listening to. Somebody said that vocally all the work was Nicole's. And I was or like, at that somebody needs to know this. A lot of buzz in the music scene. Sooner or later, the Pussycat Dolls was molded into a singing group and they were signed to Interscope Records. The group consisted of several dancers, which included Karmik Bashar, Ashley Roberts, Jessica Suta, Kimberly Wyatt, and three singers, Melody Thornton. Oh, Kaya Jones. Oh, wow. I thought it was just Nicole. And Nicole Shirt Singer. Nicole was already in a previous girl group called Eden's Crush, and she was brought in the Pussycat Dolls to be the lead singer. Nicole was actually responsible for all the group's <laughs> vocals, including backup vocals. Oh, I was a singer because I was singing. I was the one singing. Nicole said that she actually sang 95% of the songs. What about these two other singers? I probably did 95% of the album on my own. However, one of the former members of a group named Kaya Jones claimed that Nicole sang most of the songs because she refused to share the spotlight. She said Nicole was always someone who wanted to be in the spotlight and would pretty much do anything to oh get it. No. Kaya Jones was also disappointed at the emphasis that was placed on Nicole, which is the reason why she left the group prematurely. This allowed Carmi to step in her place as singer, and Nicole, Carmi, and Melody became the vocal backbone of the Pussycat Doll. Like a lazy ocean hugs the shore, hold me close, sway me more, sway me, make me, feel me, hold me, extra focus on Nicole turned her into a diva and caused some stress on the group behind the scenes. Oh. However, Nicole's oh, undeniable star quality propelled the group to superstardom. The Pussycat Dolls released their first album in 2005, which produced cocky hits like Don't Ya and sexy anthems like Buttons. I'm 
group was a groundbreaking success and a popular touring act, and they even opened up for artists like Britney Spears. The Pussycat Dolls' second album, Doll Domination, spawned several hits, including When I Grow Up and more. However, behind the scenes, the drama was getting ugly. Nicole received special treatment in the group because she was favored by the label executives and she had her own personal manager looking out for her. Plus, she demanded total control over the spotlight. It was clear to the other girls that Nicole was the only one who mattered. One of the group members, Carmeet Bashar, actually exposed what was happening in the group. She said, I think Nicole got it into her head that she was the real star and would be better off on her own. She started traveling in her own tour bus and the divide between her and the rest of us got bigger. She also spoke on Nicole's jealousy of one of the group members named Ashley Roberts. She said she always had a thing about blonde girls. Ashley knew that Nicole was jealous of her and it made her feel uncomfortable. It was a hideous undertone in the group. Ashley said herself that she was silent and she wasn't allowed to talk in the group. Also, she said, in the studio, my voice just closed up. During my time in the dolls, I was told that I shouldn't sing, that I wasn't allowed, and I suppose that had an impact on me. I love Nicole Pieces, but she's, you know, she's intense. Yeah. And even in the group, I wasn't allowed to talk. <laughs> really? It's amazing. Yeah, we were told to be quiet. Is that not driving me nuts? <laughs> Pussycats play Survivor. Fox, that's a fun case. Kimberly Wyatt hey, yeah. get out the way. She said, what happened to Angel? I don't know. Everyone in the group has a beautiful voice. We just weren't showcased as much. Kimberly also said that I've been a pussycat doll for longer. She was one of the last to join, but we'd have to share a dressing room while Nicole would have her own. We'd be on the tour bus together, <laughs> so but wrong. she wouldn't come on. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha! I'm closer with the other girls because of the system that was in place. Carmeet revealed that Nicole basically wanted to be front and center all the time. We were expected to work our tails off to boost Nicole in her own career. The situation became unbearable. And this was the same sentiments that Kaya Jones actually expressed, which is the reason why she left the group. There, there's Diva's live footage and I'm on it. There's there's footage and I'm on it. So would I join and, and make money for somebody who never is even going to admit that I was a part of the team? No. How come it never morphed into some of the other girls singing as well? On, well, they did on the albums, but they had their own songs. But they never really traded parts. People get it mixed up sometimes. Everyone has a important role. Carmeet was the second one to walk away from the group, and one of the group members, Jessica, actually pretended to be her by wearing her signature red hair. It almost seems like some of the ladies in the group were actually being ungrateful for complaining, especially because Nicole was the reason why the group was such a big success. However, they had some reason for their dismay. For one, Nicole was secretly planning to go solo behind their back. Nicole and her team secretly plotted to have her do solo projects and recordings. Hence, her releasing her singles, Baby Love and Whatever You Like. 
The group also dealt with financial issues. Even though the girls were touring and selling millions of records, they weren't seeing the desired profits. Nicole was paid more while the other girls were paid much less. This was due to the fact that Nicole sang most of the records, but also the group's profits were eaten up by the expensive demos that Nicole was doing. Last year, after seven years with the group, Jessica says she went from the Hollywood high life to nearly becoming homeless. They paid Did for you make demos? any money out of it? No, not a whole lot. No, no, not a whole lot. No, and I definitely felt like a glorified backup dancer. I know they were. Nicole was the front and center. She was a lead singer, and everything went around her. The tension behind the scenes ended up spilling onto the stage. One of the members, Melody Thornton, had an emotional moment on stage, exposing deeper issues that the ladies were facing in the group. animosity there. Sweetie, it's just inevitable. You just, things are going to clash and things are going to happen. What was the biggest clashes oh, over? Oh. I'm not taking sides in this. I'm just looking at this from an entertainment value perspective. Let's see. You were the singer. Just, I think it's just inevitable. Nicole had her own management. She had someone to look after her. It wasn't about us. This, so that's very smart. I think I'm going to edit parts of this out so that it doesn't come across as sympathetic to one per person. But, um, God, I never wanted to be in a group like that. But I think there are lessons to learn. Really have people on your team that are not going to just try to sell you out. You know, oh, we got you working. Yeah, but it's like... Stay working and make sure it's a good fit and, you know, only if it's a good fit and if it's right is it going to keep getting more and more and more successful. At Nicole's alleged diva antics, no one knew the amount of pressure she was dealing with. The label put a heavy responsibility on her to carry the group. Also, Nicole had a terrible eating disorder called bulimia, which caused her to be very irritable. The pressure of being in the group became too much for Nicole sometimes, but it also became too much for the girls, to the point where they all walked away. But as for why she left a life of privilege behind, Jess admits, I felt like it was time to not live in the shadow of Nicole. It wasn't a joyful experience. You guys have split up. Yeah, um, a couple of girls have left the group. So and why did you let them do that? I, I mean, I don't let control them. them. Yes, you do. No, I don't. <laughs> the group officially broke up in 2010 due to unfair politics behind the scenes. 
Nicole was the only one left standing, and the label thought it would be easy to replace her ex-bandmates with different backup dancers. Oh. However, fans were already familiarized with the group members, and the replacement would be too obvious. Instead of building another group around Nicole, Nicole and her team decided to push her as a solo artist. Nicole had a decent amount of success, and she had a few hits under her belt. However, Nicole's solo efforts did not make the same impact as her efforts in the Pussycat Dolls. Nicole continued to work hard on other projects. Also, the other ladies continued to work on their own solo projects, and some of them even returned to their first love, which was dance. Despite the drama, luckily all the ladies in the Pussycat Dolls made up with Nicole, and they seem to be in a good place with each other. They have grown up and accomplished so much together oh, and good. separately. Their impact has set the tone for other girl groups like Girlicious, Danny Kane, and Fifth Harmony. I wouldn't be surprised if the Pussycat Dolls reunited one day. The future looks promising. Anyway, thank you all so much for watching this brief documentary, and I'll see you next time. Bye! Wow, this has just been very, very educational. Line up your escape. I know it's over. I still want to do my original, my own thing. And don't think I'm not figuring it out. Check it out. Anyway, thank you all so much for watching this music documentary. And I'll see you next time. Bye! Wow. Wow. I just don't... I am just in shock. I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm still taking a moment. Because why, why did I take the time to do this? It's kind of just how we all think that there's a bunch of people that erroneously think that everything is fair. You know, and we all know that it doesn't. But the thing is, don't, if, if something happened and it wasn't fair and the attitude is like, well, life's not fair, then guess what? You don't at the same time get to still lie and be like, oh yeah, well, we were, we were good enough for the integrity police and oh, whatever they did just wasn't good enough for, you can't, you can't lie on it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're saying, oh, well, it's just not fair. Then at the same time, you can't be like, um, Oh, oh, you know, it wasn't fair because you, you made it not fair. You can't pretend like it was fair and then say, oh, oh, it just wasn't fair. No, you, you lied. You're not um, qualified for the integrity police. If you are doing that to other artists, and um, I'm so glad that they, I could still see her thing in her. And I don't even know why she hasn't reworked it more. 
But there's a lot of things that I can see, people. There's a whole lot that I see. And I, what I, why I'm doing this, I'm not trying to start anything. Everybody has fans. And they're literally room for everyone. And I know how we are programmed to think that it's just all about one person and they just dominate all the time. I mean, you could get sick of that. And one thing that I love and the way that about the, the decisions that I made, all these people trying to put words in my mouth, like I should feel regrets or whatever. I did exactly. I think that I made really, really great decisions. I never wanted to be the kind of artist that people were pushing down other people's throats, hyping to death. That is not me. I do my work organically and my work has an integrity to it. And people of like mind will be attracted to um, that vibration. And usually my work is truth work. So people that have no integrity and are not about the truth ain't going to be about it. And they can't exactly steal it because they're liars. So I'm fine in my lane. I don't have to be in everybody's face. I really, really don't. Believe me, if I wanted to be the center of attention and and I know know that they tell young starlets, drop your draws, uh, be a sex doll, pass you around. If the public really believes that it's just about how you sing and just uh, blah, blah, blah. And I got like really ignorant people. I sing almost every genre that there is. And I've been singing since I was four years old. Why would I ever be afraid of doing what it is that I love to do? It's just what it is, is a mind F, a weak mind F that they try to do. It's just to challenge you so that your ego gets in a knot and it's like, Ooh, I'm going to show you. And then you put your stuff out and then they steal it and they still don't care. It's just a mind F. So I'm trying to hip you, the audience, to understand that their whole telling you, oh, imagine what she could do if she wasn't afraid. Do I, y'all know me now. And you know that I speak my mind, even if I might lose fans, if I might lose uh, just whatever. I always just go with what I know um, is the truth, you know, or whatever I feel is like, strong, you know, is, is like resonates with me. And you know that I go do that. And there's like a whole lot of threat against, you know, I could be living La Vida Loca. I could have, a whole lot of things could have happened and y'all know that it could have. And they tried to tell you guys, oh, she's ugly. Oh, she's this. Oh, she's that. They got to say all of that. And y'all have seen that I can do anything that I want when I want. So when I'm telling you guys this, I'm not bragging. I am doing my fight against literally thieves. What you're seeing, this is what is done to everyone that doesn't whore themselves out. And I'm looking at Amory and she looks like a class act. She looks like a fighter. She looks tired of fighting, like not literally tired, but like her eyes were opened. And so anybody that listens or watches my channel, first I was going to put this on black news, but you know what? I might just put this on, um, I don't know. It might even go on human news because, 
um, everybody thinks that uh, they know how every, we know that behind the scenes that there's uh, abuse situations, that there's a whole lot of stuff going on, but we don't, we don't connect it. And so everything that I've been saying to you, everything that I've been saying to you and trying to show you, I'm, I mean, people can think, you know, oh, well, you could have said it better or you keep putting it in the face. I'm not putting it in the face of the public. I'm putting it in the face of these handful of people that um, are stealing from other people. And they don't think that anybody knows because they think they can just steal anybody's style, anybody's vibe, anybody's look. And then because they're making a couple of dollars, they want to flash in everybody else's face. Oh, we're the hot shots and it's a closed system and you can't get in. So if nobody else can get in, they can sit there and act like everybody else is a failure. But if you really look at what they do, all they do is steal. That's all they do, literally. And just, uh, you heard in my, in my intuitive, um, the last intuitive episode, the girl said, like, I even have to watch what I say that I even, I don't even criticize them anymore. I don't even say, I don't even say anything because I don't want to be helping them clean up their acts since they know everything. They know everything and everybody else, nobody else is talented. I'm fighting for human beings that, that haven't sold out, that haven't sold their souls to say, guess what? We're also good. Not just these people. So people that are listening and watching, they're not, they're not, they don't really understand what's going on. They do not understand the dynamics of what goes on and who is really doing the work and the games that these people play. And, um, a lot of the, um, there's a whole, you, you got to understand there's a whole lot of people to get through. There's a lot of people on different levels that I don't know how they got there. I literally cannot tell you how they got there, but there are things that I can see. I can tell who really has what it takes to, who is really doing the work to contribute. And I know that sounds weird, but what I'm saying to you is you guys know, you guys know about my spiritual thing, right? It's not, first of all, I will never get out there and be like, oh, I'm the this singer, I'm the that. It's not about that for me. Performance is not about that for me. Creating is not about that for me. My spiritual, whatever it is that I have, sees people. I see people on a totally different, uh, in a totally different way. I can see past their bone structure, their uh, features, their makeup, their hair, their clothes, um, how they're told to act. I see through all of it. And I understand when I look at people who is really doing what? And there's a lot of people in positions that really don't do anything. And no matter what these people do to slander me or slander my past or whatever the hell it is that they try to say, I know what it is that I do 
to produce what it is that I do and I do it every day. And so what's been great is that I have been given most high gave me a chance for the public to see what my quality is, to see, to see what my quality is. They, these people are run by, I, I think it's extraterrestrials. I think it's the serpents of the Bible, literally serpents, the serpents of the Bible, the serpent that Eve, you know, I don't know if it, they, they're two serpents, first of all. There's the good serpents that aren't poisonous, that gave us wisdom. And then there's the serpents that are, uh, that eat people and that need to drink people to keep coming, to, to keep staying alive like vampires. Okay. And they run this game. And that's why when you see any kind of videos, any kind of clothing that looks like blood, that looks like anything, that is the red, black, and white. That's what they're showing you, that the serpents, they run that game. And it is not about talent, people. I mean, it is and it isn't because at the end of the day, no matter who they prop up there, if they don't have the real talent, if they don't have any talent, you know, it's... It's going to be a success, but it ain't going to be like uh, some stars and some events of the past that we used to have. Um, so, you know what? I've, I always wanted to just stay independent. And then that, if that means that I just have the people that appreciate me and it's not, you know, every single person in the world, that's fine. I, I would never say to anybody, bitches bow down. To me, that's not humble. I would never say that. And I'm not talking about her. I'm just saying that mentality. I would never say that. And I, I read through all the reviews. I listen to music all the time and I read what people say. And um, I'm a really fair person. I don't I don't always uh, agree with every, you know, mean thing. There's haters of all kinds and all stripes and everybody has something to contribute, you know, that is their God-given talent. I don't, I don't have anything to say about that, but I am going to do my own thing independently. I don't know what these people are planning or whatever. I have, I have no desire in the world to be, uh, Beyonce. I have no, I have no desire to, to whatever that's supposed to be, that people think that all of that, that whole thing, uh, that's not who I am. I'm a creative artist and you're going to see my creativity in many different ways and all the complaining that they do about, oh, what you could do, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're really silly because I'm sharing my voice and my music with people all the time. And if they wanted to support it and they were interested in it, then they would do it. And it has nothing to do with hype um, or anything. If they like it and they're interested, then they would listen. And um, I'm not going down with that. I am always going to be exactly myself. And that's, people don't understand that that is what shines. That's what shines.
Songwriters versus Streaming. The rise of streaming and the decline of people willing to pay anything for music has affected musicians greatly. But what they're going through is nothing compared to those who've been most devastated by the lack of funds. The songwriters. If your only job is to write songs for other people to sing, you might as well do that for free at this point. According to Pacific Standard, songwriters are among the only people in the industry who've never formed a legitimate union. So the internet age has hit them the hardest. They can expect to make, if they're lucky, about half a penny per stream of a song they wrote. Songwriter Andre Lindahl, who wrote Justin Bieber's smash hit As Long As You Love Me, made a mere $218 off 34 million YouTube hits in the song's first year of release. Over on Pandora, despite 38 million streams of the song, he pocketed a paltry $278. Fake Beefs Most musician feuds are about as genuine as pro wrestling feuds, cooked up to sell albums or simply to remind everyone the musicians exist. 50 Cent and Kanye West had a long-running beef, but to hear fellow hip-hopper Reverend Run tell it, they were acting from the start. The two often released music around the same time, so according to Run, their squabbling existed entirely to promote their work. Remember Beyonce's sister Solange Knowles confronting Jay-Z in an elevator? Perhaps his revenge for Jay cheating on B? Well, according to the lady's father, Matthew Knowles, that was staged melodrama from the start. There was a tour coming up, so the clan staged what the elder Knowles called a Jedi mind trick, which got everybody in the news, boosted tour exposure, and increased Solange's album sales by over 200%. Fake feuds can also introduce us to new people. In the 90s, teen R&B sensations Brandy and Monica were known for their feuds. Years later, Monica admitted to a radio station that the drama was a label-authored storyline cooked to launch them into the spotlight. Apparently, it wasn't enough to pretend feud over a boy in a duet. They had to actually feud to truly sell the song. Deeply Indebted Not only is it hard to make a living as a musician as is, being a rock star often means being deeply in debt to your label almost literally from the start. Courtney Love penned an essay for Salon in 2000, outlining how inevitable it is for a musician to fall into debt. Basically, the label gives an artist an advance, spending a certain amount to record an album, then the rest goes to management, lawyers, taxes, and finally themselves. It's possible to be advanced a million dollars and see under 50 grand of it. Not to mention, you'll need to pay back that advance. Not the reason most artists want to go on tour. It's not just love. In 2008, EMI sued 30 Seconds to Mars for $30 million. But according to the band, EMI never paid them any royalties. Meanwhile, country star Lyle Lovett told Billboard in 2008 he's earned no money from selling 4.6 million albums in his career. If you want to make money in music, actually creating and playing the music clearly isn't the route to take. That's, there's so much I could go into. Oh, God. Let's, let's just look and I'll try to edit the Emmy. And the Oscar. And the Grammy goes to. This is called the dark side of Hollywood. So many people are influenced by the life of the rich and famous that they think it's actually attainable. Then when they don't get the recognition they think they deserve, it could have lasting psychological effects. As we said earlier, many people seek fame as a way to feel validated. Able to encompass in their own lives a sense of inner fame that they can project to the world. So, I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just said. Music. What the heck? We'll do a little bit of everything. Find out what the heck's going on. This story was always. A- okay. Harvey. In the fall of 2016. 
um, in a... You know what? I think it's a psyop. I just can't. It's more than him. It's more than him. What else? I want to keep this short and sweet. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Impressive, Impressive Channel. Impressive is him. went on Instagram Live and shared her feelings about the music industry. Watch this. I've just been praying a lot, you know, I have to, I have to eliminate a lot of people in my life. You know, one thing about fame and one thing about when you have money, you don't really know, people have evil, evil intentions around you, like, evil intentions. That's why I just been, just dealing with things, but it's just like, things are getting better and I'm just glad that I'm eliminating them from my life now. And I'm getting my business and my work together. Like I said, like, like the music industry is more uh, snakier me. and more fucked up than the streets. What? Like the streets, to me, I used to think the streets is grimy. The streets are easier. The streets are way easier. The strip club, it is to cut throats in the strip club. It's music industry, you just gotta watch out. You gotta get lawyer up. You gotta get business managers up you gotta you gotta mingle with the right people and you know i don't i don't really know celebrities like that i don't really talk to celebrities like that i found this you actually very revealing and cardi b has reached a level of success that she never expected to reach in such a short amount of time and she now sees how the industry operates it's not like a playground it's very cutthroat and you have to be on top of your game at all times now i'm sure people are saying well this is what she signed up for why is she complaining well i realize that cardi does not have the personality for this music industry oh no she's very open and she's very honest but she's also very sensitive as well and she's dealing with a lot of pressure now another thing that she's dealing with is the pressure of releasing an album. Now, a lot of people have been saying that the reason why Cardi B is taking so long to release an album is because she's waiting on Nicki Minaj. Cardi B herself has denied this, but she admitted that she didn't have an album or songs prepared when Bodak Yellow blew up. So she's not waiting on Nicki. Her album isn't ready yet. So this was in uh, March 2018. We've moved past then, so I'm going to skip ahead, okay? Oh, like, oh, you're going to be like what? Like a feature artist, feature artist. Now I'm slowing down. And I have did features for other people. They just haven't dropped it yet. But I'm really just focusing on putting my album out, which is going to drop soon. And then on top of that, I have been doing a whole lot of work that's been taking a lot of my time. That is not really involved with music, but it's going to get me a check. And I need a check. And you know, I have a personal life. What, what kind of work are you talking about? I have a personal life. I got a personal business. I have a lot of responsibilities. You know, I pay my bills and I pay a lot of people bills, and I have a lot of people that work for me that I got to pay. So, who, who are they and what do they do? I'm just curious. I'm not shading. I want to know. I gotta constantly go get the bag. Go get. Who, who do you have to pay? And who, like, how many people are involved? In you being uh, a personality entity, I'm very curious about this. I constantly make shows, but I, like I said, working on this album. I'm seeing that I have a lot of pressure that I didn't know. You know, around October, when I just did Bodak Yellow, 
I didn't I didn't even really was thinking about an album because I never really knew the importance of it. I always thought that it was like a mixtape. But oh, supposedly it's not like a mixtape. It's like something that is a big deal. So it's like it gotta come up beautifully and perfect because I don't wanna disappoint my fans and I there's so many people that's anticipating to hear it just to hate on it. So it gotta be really dope. And I just you know what I'm saying? I gotta work, work, work. And that's why I'm here. And I've been doing rehearsals every day. Yo, I've been doing rehearsals every day for six hours straight. To do what? Some songs in her back pocket to keep supplying the people because people will lose interest. And unfortunately in hip hop, your steam can die down if you don't have music ready and available for listeners. And unless you're like a quality artist who makes quality music, then you'll be easily forgotten. And I'm not trying to say that Cardi B will be forgotten, but she has a lot to prove at this point. And I just have to say this, Cardi B's competition is no longer with Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj, she's established. By the way, Nicki just, uh, didn't she just retire? And then Sheryl Crow retired? If you don't know that these are the end days and all these people are retiring, you better wake up. Already, she's always gonna have her fans and they're always gonna support her music. But Cardi B has to look out for some of these newer female rappers coming out too. Ooh. There's a rapper named Cash Doll who has a bubbling underground following and she's releasing her project this week. Also, Saweetie, she's releasing her project. So this is why it's important for artists, especially new artists, to always have a selection of quality bangers, quality singles. That and what do they have to do to get these singles? Because we know it costs money to do these demos. We wonder. People don't understand what it takes for them to get these demos, especially if they don't write. Y'all better start using your brains just pull out and give to the people in case they have a huge smash hit. And I do believe that Cardi should have capitalized off of Bodak Yellow. It took her months to release her next single, which was Bardier Cardi. Maybe we'll be fine. I think she's doing fine. But at least she was, uh, at least she was honest about it. That, that was, oh God, okay. Ted can't get away. I'm doing my homework, people, and everything that I learn, I share with my audience because I do know that they're going through everything that I'm going with, and I also know that there's a lot of really talented people out there that the public, honestly, just hasn't even heard about, and that's really disgusting, but let's find out what's going on in the music industry as of April 15, 2019. Increasing. In other words, the younger generations are not coming out to support live music. Oh, no. But the thing that I don't get is if people have access to these amazing music libraries, why is it that small music venues right now are struggling to stay open? Right. And why is it that the audiences who do come to concerts are less engaged than ever? The amount of people I see on their phones when I'm on stage is crazy. And why is it that the audience's average age seems to be increasing? In other words, the younger generations are not coming out to support live music. So I'm here. Um, in the past couple of years, I have um, put my heart and soul into making a few original music projects. And in the process of trying to sell these things, I've learned some really cool things about the music industry.
And I'm here today to tell you what the music industry actually sells. And it's far more than just music. Well, what is it? And once we understand what that is, we'll have a clearer picture as to why the music industry is in trouble right now. So to understand why the music industry is the way it is today, we need to understand its origins. So um, in the early parts of the 20th century, we saw the invention of a few really important mass media devices, namely the television, the radio, and the record player. And so all of a sudden, we found these devices in the average middle class home. And all of these devices required content. And where there is demand, there is opportunity to make money. The people who were in charge of making the content for these devices found themselves in a very unique position. For the first time ever, people who were making this content can influence the thoughts and thinking of the average person. Prior to this, society got our values from institutions like the church, school, or our parents. So now we have all of these new ideas pouring into our households, and this affected culture quite profoundly. Think of all the trends that happened over the past hundred years. So culture is just a set of accepted beliefs, values, patterns. It informs the way we think and the way that we act. I like to think of it as if our bodies and brains are computers, then culture is sort of like our operating system. And any group of people since the dawn of time has had some form of culture. As the needs of people have changed, culture too has evolved. <laughs> um, culture, like anything, is subject to competition. So if, some, if, if somebody's needs are not being met, then they're going to start acting in a different way. This is sort of the seeds of counterculture. Counterculture starts off with one person or a small group of people doing things differently. And if enough people join in in that behavior, it has the potential to be a larger trend or a movement. And if it sticks around long enough or gains enough power, then one day it might form part of the mainstream culture. So this creates sort of a cool business opportunity. All of a sudden, if you have a group of people who share the same beliefs and values, then you have a really perfectly targeted, um, segmented target audience. And you can sell them products and services that cater to those beliefs and values. Well, a counterculture isn't just going to buy anything from anybody. They want to buy something from somebody they trust. So if you're an industry and you want to sell our product or service to that counterculture, one of the ways you do that is you find somebody or a group of people within the counterculture who perfectly represents that values or is a leader. And so that's all that Instagram stuff and, uh, you know, like all the influencers. And now he's talking about the idols. Here we go. In the mid 80s, uh, there was glam rock was kind of the predominant rock and roll genre and it was characterized as uh, being a kind of a fun genre a lot of songs about cars and girls um it was a rather vain time people really cared about their hair and their clothes um lead singers all seem to have these really uh, powerful operatic vocal ranges and every band needed an ace guitar player somebody who could overplay the guitar and play the most notes <laughs> That wasn't uh, part of my rehearsed plan, but I'm glad I did that. <laughs> um, a few years later, a counterculture emerged in opposition to glam rock's values. Uh, grunge music, in contrast, was very serious. 
Um, there's sort of this anti-fashion movement. It wasn't cool to really... And you know what it kind of, if you look at the patterns from the outside as a social experiment, it's kind of like when uh, the Democrats are in, you know, they're, they're in the presidency or they have the House or the Senate, and then the Republicans move in. It's the same with um, different brands, you know, or trends of counterculture that they've already had it planned. You know, like the hippies um, changed into, um, like, um, eventually the disco people, you know? And then that changed into, like, you know, um, you know, the mall rats, like the 80s people. And then that changed into the emo people. You know, it's like they already have this stuff planned in advance. This is like, I don't think this is organic stuff. You know, and then the idols that get chosen are the people that um, become the leaders of thought and fashion in these different streams um, that can influence things. And that's how it goes. It's been All of going. the values that represented the counterculture they grew out of. Industry knew this, and they used these guys to sell millions of records and millions of concert tickets. The interesting thing about Kurt Cobain is that he was aware of the commercialization of him, himself and his uh, cultural values, and he was quite outspoken against it. Unfortunately for him, that only re-solidified his position as the idol because he so proudly held to his counterculture's values. I think it's actually kind of a sad thing. So why do we buy music? I don't want to overlook the fact that the music industry does sell music. But there's reasons why some bands can travel the world and sell out venues they wherever they go. They and it's do. because they're doing something more than just playing music. The thing that the music industry sells is values. Human beings have a lot of needs. <laughs> Two of the most important needs that we have yeah. is our need to self-identify, uh -huh. to understand thyself. And secondly, we have a need to belong. None of us want to be abandoned and none of us want to be alone. So when you walk into a record store and you walk to the pop section or you walk to the country section or you walk to the rap section, in a small way, you're going through an unconscious process of self-identification. You're identifying with the, with the values of the genre that you like. Or when you put on a band's t-shirt, you're saying to the rest of the world, these are my values. Does anyone else out there feel the same way I do? Because I don't want to be alone. So with the music industry fulfilling these very important needs in our lives, why is it in so much trouble right now? Uh. Well, in the mid-2000s, social media came to prominence. And a lot of bands rushed to social media platforms for the opportunity to reach much larger audiences. And while a lot of bands did achieve that, the thing that they didn't realize is that they were giving away their values for free. Uh. Social media is a far more efficient way of meeting our needs of self-identification and belonging than the old music industry model ever could. For example, when you look through your photos, find one that you think represents you well, and then you write a few words about it and post it on Instagram, you have just gone through a pretty radical process of trying to figure out who you are. I've stopped looking at my Instagram newsfeed as the news 
and more at just my friends trying to figure out who they are. Oh, that's no. really all that's going on. That's a hot mess. And you look at a platform like Reddit, well, in less than a minute, you can sign up for their website, search over a million subreddits, which are micro-communities based on some interest, and you can begin interacting with people. You can do this all without spending any money. You can do this without leaving your house or putting on pants. And I think the most important thing is you can do this all without the fear of rejection. Doesn't matter if you're tall or short or rich or poor, you're not going to get turned away from a Reddit, a subreddit. No, but you're putting all your business out there and somebody somewhere is reading it and they know who the hell you are! Community, so long as you play by the rules. This is going to make me sound old-timey, but... Just say it. When I was a teenager and before social media was a thing... It wasn't that long ago. I actually had to leave the house and go be around other people if I wanted to belong with people. Kids today can belong without leaving their house. So all of a sudden, the need to buy concert tickets plummets. That's why I went to concerts, because I wanted to be around people. So coming to understand the stuff about the music industry selling values, I came to realize that I was doing a pretty terrible job on my social media of communicating what I stood for. Because if you don't communicate well what you stand for, then it's impossible for a fan to self-identify with you. And if you don't have fans, then you can't sell your stuff to them. So I decided to do an experiment. And about a month ago, I made an Instagram post where I just wrote down some of the values that I, that I believe in, things like working hard and, and honesty, and found a picture to kind of match those values. And I threw it up. And um, I got 25% more likes and more engagement than any post I'd ever made before. And with the exception of me holding a guitar, um, it has nothing to do with my music. So while I'm kind of happy that I got this success and more engagement and all that, and wider reach, um, it kind of upset me a little bit because the thing that I really want people to check out is my art. I don't really want to have to brand or sell myself. It makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. And what's really sad just because I know this is going to go in my industry news uh, episode, and I know people um, that are not just interested in music but are also interested in acting are listening. What happens when you know you're branded as a performer because they think, oh, um, well, you're this, so this is how we're going to sell you, okay? And it's all about selling you, and you are a type. And that is it. And the problem with that, while you cannot change these people's minds about their approach or how they think or uh, what they perceive about the business, the problem with that is that if they don't understand your full package and you are more or different from what they have in mind, um, you're undercutting your whole game. Because somebody that doesn't get who you are, they're never going to send you for the right roles. They're not going to, they, the plan that you see for yourself and what they see, they cannot see it. And so I've already been through it, you know. Um, you know, I met with some of those agents uh, that put together the shows that spawned groups like uh, the Pussycat Dolls. And it's very much 
you are literally, you are just a commodity. Oh, you're a singer? They don't give a damn if you can act. None of it. It doesn't matter. You are a look. You are a demographic. That is it. And they think, based on that that image alone, that they know how much money you're worth and what you can bring. And ironically, even though my situation started out as a way for all these haters to kind of, you know, try to do some kind of shaming or whatever the hell it was that they thought, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know what I could do. And I hid a lot of stuff. And so what they tried to do totally backfired on them because I was able to, even though people might've tuned in for the wrong reasons or whatever, I feel like I proved a lot of things because first of all, um, at the start of the game, obviously I was, you know, a size zero and now I'm a little bit heavier, but all of these same people that would have been like, Oh no. Oh, we can. Oh, you're not, you're not this. You're not that. Oh, we can't, we don't see you. We can't. No, I don't think so. Blah, blah, blah. I proved that if you have good content, if you are, uh, truly entertaining and providing people a value, they'll look at you. People don't only look at skinny people. People have in their lives a myriad of of different types of weights and looks and everything. And we have all kinds of people that are in our family and friends that we love that are all along the spectrum. And before somebody like me came along, we were all being told, oh, we can't listen to that person because they're fat or they're this and that. And now after all of this, now we got people like Megan Trainer and Lizzo up there and they're trying to tell us, oh, oh, look at these people. Oh, it's okay now. But it always takes those people that defy what other people are telling them. Oh, no, it has to be like this. Oh, no, it's a no. You still don't get it. A lot of people in the industry still do not get it. They do not get it. And I'm not trying to make enemies. I'm not trying to say anything mean. I'm just telling you that human beings don't understand. They do not really give a damn about talent. If you have talent and, um, you know, you get through their obstacle course of horrors. And then at the end of the day, you actually do do something behind uh, the camera or in the booth or on the stage, then they're just mystified. Well, shit, how did you, oh, you really, <laughs> you really had talent? You know, it's, it's almost like it's just kind of, it's, it's the mustard on the side in when Harry met Sally. It's not the, it's not the main course. It's just crazy what it is now. And I know it's the end and I, I have no illusions about it. Um, I just, I just, I'm trying to help the public to understand, um, as I don't know what they're going to be trying to tell people about me or what they're going to be saying, but you guys know me and I'm going to have done my homework. And if anybody tries to pull anything, I will be able to really lay it down. I will not be trifled with. So I am doing the homework here and I'm hoping that everybody is hearing uh, 
how the model has changed. And maybe it's always been this way and we just didn't even see it. So if all along my ex is like, oh, you have to write songs and blah, 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 blah. And he's not even making money from writing songs. Everybody's making money from what? trying to design, trying to sell all these different kinds of things, which I already do naturally without even singing. So why were they up my butt about singing if I was already designing and a creative with everything else that they're all trying to do other than music? Why, why did they do what they did? You got to, you got, you guys better start thinking, start thinking. A little bit like Kurt Cobain in that way, I guess. So, what's next for the music industry? Is the music industry done? Well, no. Live music is going to stick around forever in some capacity. Record sales are going to stick around in some capacity forever. They're too cool to go away. But as social media reigns as our society's main cultural influencer, I think that there's new unmet needs emerging in our society. One of the things is that we lack human connection now. And I think that a lot of us are overstimulated. And overstimulation can be met by things like resting or playing with our friends. And so, I think there's a great opportunity for us as a society to reposition how we use music. A couple of years ago, I started up a thing here in Regina um, called Guitar Theory Jam. And once a month on Sunday afternoon, we get together for a couple of hours with the sole purpose of just playing music together and having fun. And without a doubt, every time after I leave a guitar theory jam, I have this nice warm feeling inside. My needs for human connection and having fun and just resting and playing are met in spades far better than can ever be met through social media. So the new underground is everybody playing together and sharing. Okay, I get that. I'm just going to speed through it because I don't want this episode to be Writing too Writing something like this, or making any art, is that I feel like there's always some sort of personal epiphany in examining something. And this morning, um, I woke up and I was looking through my closet to figure out what I was going to wear today. And for the past 10 years, I've pretty much only worn uh, black t-shirts or white t-shirts. Um, I kind of don't really like making statements with my clothes. and um, But I've noticed that unconsciously I've started collecting t-shirts from venues that I've either performed at or that I've visited. And I was walking here today just thinking like, why is it okay that I'm, why, why am I okay with broadcasting, you know, a music venue with my shirt? And I think what it is, is that for me, a music venue represents a place where people get together and have fun through sharing music in real time. And that's something that I can stand behind. I can say for certain that the best times of my life have come from sharing music with my friends in real life. Learning how to play music has given me... Okay, all right, he's going to go on and on. And I think he had a lot of valid things to say. Um, I just want to hear, so this person has some ideas on how to fix it. So, like everybody at the time, we were also preoccupied with this idea that, man, maybe, maybe our, please God, maybe our content will go viral. <laughs> and 
At that point, man, we'll be totally set. Because viral success has to equal financial success. We don't know how, but we're, we're sure it must, right? <laughs> well, it didn't. So what's that leave us with? Yes, Weathervane Music, we, had, we were telling great stories. And our mission is noble. Besides that, we're just like everybody else was decades leading up to that point. We're closing our eyes and waiting for lightning to strike, but down deep suppressing the real fear that our content, our music, might never generate a penny. Once upon a time, recorded music was valuable. I mean, for one thing, not every right, where I on. kind of wanted sound effects like thunder to clap. The big number two, oh wow, big number two. <laughs> Here we are today. We live in a beautiful world where everybody makes music, where everybody knows somebody makes who makes music. And I really do believe that is a beautiful world. But consequently, what that also means is the world is flooded with this stuff. And if only a small minority of people do pay for it, and I'm not trying to guilt you into anything anymore, if only a small number of people pay for it, well, by definition, it is really only worth pennies on the dollar in comparison to what it was in the past. Well, weather vane to the rescue, right? Because <laughs> we saw this is a threat to the future of music in our culture. If artists can't sell their music, they can't make a living with their music. So Peter and Dan and I, we donned our... Uh, what, what production techniques went into making this song what it was? And, you know, even some of the crankier uh, members of Gear Sluts, which is only a couple, um, <laughs> even those guys, they were offering friendly uh, critiques of each other's mixes in the days that followed. Oh, I remember that. But the coolest part, the funniest part, was that people would spend five or six hours remixing the song, and when they uploaded it, they'd issue an apology that they couldn't put more time into it. And with music, these people relish the opportunity to help their friends in the community do the same. Yeah, well. This is an activities in music that is in short supply. I just want to take the last couple of minutes and talk to artists, people who make music. How should you think about music? For one thing, if you think you're, you're here to make records and to sell them, that is an old model, and that is in the past. And the rock and roll myth, and the rock and roll fantasies that went with it for decades, those are all things of the past. Remember, today, everything belongs to everybody. <laughs> for free. Yeah, awesome band. When, <laughs> oh, he'll be happy. He'll be happy you guys clapped. In the past, clap your hands, say yeah, we'll go on tour. And they would play in venues that held in the high hundreds to the thousands of people, and maybe even more. But this year, in fact, right now, today, tonight, Alec is touring across the country by himself, going house to house, playing in living rooms for no more than 50 people at a time. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Why, Those why are the super hell would he do this? That's well, a new business model. Because Alec is smart. 
He's so smart. An artist could easily play a hundred shows for a thousand people each show and never meet more than the staff of the venue to play. Alec, in this living room tour, connects personally with hundreds of people every couple of days. I mean, he can start conversations from back on the couch where he's playing in between songs that are open to and involve everybody in the room. That is real connection. Again, not only artist to audience, but audience to one another. And Alec doesn't think about it like this, uh, but, but I know what's happening here. What is happening, really, whether he knows it or not, is he's gone out into the community that he's a part of, and he has connected people to each other through his art. What that really does is that's laying a more stable foundation for his art going out into the future. This is, after all, all about relationships. <laughs> when I was a kid, and okay, I don't have time. those are important relationships, yes. But it should be noted that all those relationships only temporary. So anyway, I get at what he's saying, and um, that's why I'm having the relationship with you guys in this show. And um, what a lot of people didn't understand that about me was that, from my perspective, it was always about serving people and having a relationship with people that was larger than me just being a pop star or just singing a couple of songs. Um, if you and I talk about everything, you know, and I have the kind of platform and one-to-one -one relationship with the people that support my show where, I mean, anybody that listens to my show, if you've got content or something to say, if you know that I would hear you and, um, you would be able to have a certain relationship with me and that we have such an understanding that, I mean, at any point in time, I could sing something if I feel that it's relevant to the topic or um, to what we're sharing. Um, again, I have to say that all of my detractors, I taught them a lesson and I've changed the business model. And now people that they supposedly put ahead of me, they're all trying to now do what I do um, because they found out that uh, I guess they didn't know everything. Anyway, <laughs> it really, really does. That's all you ever have to do is be yourself. And something else that I heard on my own <laughs> intuitive radio, uh, they were saying that some divine masculines uh, don't feel that their self is impressive enough or is enough. Who or what is the self that everybody is told is good and is superior to what we really are? Who, who are these people that are supposed to be Someone, what somebody has or what they look like, that is not, I, I can't believe that I even have to say it. That is not what makes somebody a winner. 
at all. If you are dependent on outside things to give you a sense of worth, you're in big trouble. That, I mean, that means that you're lacking. And because you're always lacking, you're always going to be looking for things to supplement the emptiness. And I'm not trying to make fun of anybody that may feel empty. What I'm trying to do is snatch your mind and have you look at yourself and really examine who is pointing the finger at you and telling you that you're not good enough. Or what is, what is it about you that's not good enough? What is it about? You got arms, you got legs, you got fingers, you got, a, I'm assuming, a working mind. You have a pleasant personality. What, what would make you worthless? What would make somebody feel worthless? If it's someone else's opinion, you have a choice as an individual to take your power back and look at that person and be like, first of all, first of all, each one of us is here to do something completely different. If you give somebody else the power to say, well, that person looks like that or that person can do that, they should do this. If you let them define you or say, well, you should be able to uh, run faster than Jesse Owens or you, you played tennis as a child, so you should be able to beat Serena Williams. Why aren't you still playing? Or I mean, if you let people do that after you've lived the whole life and all kinds of stuff has happened and you've made different decisions and you've grown in different ways and you've done other careers, you're going to really let somebody come from out of nowhere and tell you who you are and what you should be. Who the heck are they? And what are they doing? What, what, what are they doing that is such a great con a contribution more than what you're doing? Really, really look at it. Really look at it. And you, there could be some people that are really attractive and they might call you ugly. They might call you fat. They might say uh, something about your hair, your clothes, your house, whatever it is that they think is raggedy or not good enough. You need to really look at that person because no matter what they have or what kind of signs of success that they appear to have, if they got to be so focused on you that their modus operandi is to go out of their way to dehumanize you, then that shows that they are really lacking as a human being. And anybody can buy new clothes. Anybody, any, any of us can get a makeover and look like we could be on People Magazine. Any of us could. Any of us could have a, a tremendous just, you know, thing happen and we end up on the news for something. You know, you know, just something happened and, and you do something courageous or something and you're recognized or what that can any of us have that in us to be.
be extraordinary. So if that's the case, if somebody has to focus on so much of their life on you, and they're supposed to be so successful, an intelligent person would say, there's something wrong. This other person that's pointing out this lack must have lack. So when, whenever I'm talking to you guys about what I think, if, if someone else opens up a conversation about the standard, oh, you have to listen to what they're saying. They're saying you don't, you're beneath the standard. You, you're not this and you're not that and blah, 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 blah. Then guess what? Then you're bringing that conversation of the standard. And then that's when I say, oh, really? This is how I affect the standard. What are you doing to affect the standard? I don't care how many instruments you play because it's not helping you. It's not helping you. It really isn't. So, um, I mean, anybody could, you could sing and you could, you could hit notes up the yin yang. You could sing a thousand scales in every different mode that there is. And just, it has to have value. And you're not just automatically going to have value because you're hyped or because somebody gives you a slick track and you've had enough plastic surgery to pull off some looks. It's still a very human uh, reality where you have to be offering some spiritual value eventually in the music. And that's what I'm about. So no, you know what? Actually, I'm not afraid of anything. I could sing something with no high notes, no riffs, no scales, no nothing. No, nothing. Because I know that it's bigger than that. It's bigger than what we're being told. It's bigger. And I'm not here to explain to detractors the dynamics of all of this. But I see a lot. I see a lot of things and we have to understand that many of these people are pawns. They're just pawns. They're pawns. And um, I don't, you know, now that I'm seeing what I see, I don't even, I'm not going to say that I'm mad, that I'm not mad or anything. Um, I would just say, do you and your real fans that really understand you no matter what people are saying behind your back or, you know, whatever's going on. Um, if you deliver a value, people will always come back to get it, especially once they know your name. 
once people know your name, that's it. Meaning they know where they got that value. It's like friends for life. Friends for life. You know, it, it really should be like that. Um, so I don't have much to say other than that. It's just, it was very sad that I could see this girl's creativity and, um, I don't even know. I hope, I hope some people were woke by this and understand what's really going on that a lot of these people are mistreated and manhandled and it's not about talent and it's not it's not even about singing it's not even about singing and not even about the music unfortunately okay so this is for my ex who is still a jealous busybody and probably still his detractor friends uh that are out there um, I actually made some great decisions and I just realized how good everything is right now. Uh, as for them, uh, they're trash talking. They're always trying to trash talk about what I'm not doing because they can't deal with what I'm doing. He can't deal with what I'm doing. So he's got to talk about what I'm not doing. Um, and what he neglects to tell the audience is um, that he actually got one of his friends that lives in my hometown to break into my house and steal my phone. Um, and then he cut my service off without my permission. He's forgetting to tell you that. Why is that a big deal? Forget that it's a big breach of privacy, but, um, I had tons of shows, um, and material on that phone, which they, which he took. No, but no one, uh, no authorities have done anything about it. The phone company doesn't know anything about it. My other iPhone, um, which he didn't take actually, um, people that have Apple devices, you need to wake it up and understand that any of these celebrities or wealthy third parties, um, they have been given the keys to the kingdom. They can see any and everything that's in your phone. If you're an influencer, if you're a fashionista, if you're a creative, um, best believe they know about you. Even if you, um, you could be like, you know, you know that you're putting out the hottest stuff in the world and you're like, you see your stuff reflected other places and then it may not have reflected in the numbers. It's because they don't want you or anyone else to understand that you're the person that is generating those ideas that they're making money off of. Because if they had to actually hire you, they'd have to actually share some of the, some of the money and some of the credit. Um, so this latest phone where now he's trash talking, um, probably trash talking. I don't know what he could be trash talking about because in terms of my other endeavors, um, whatever else it is that I do, I do it a multitude of things, but, um, my, uh, all, all my characters and different things that I record and stuff is in that phone. And he has the ability with Apple to turn that phone on or off or to, if I'm trying to upload things, um, he has given me a lot of difficult teas in the past 
just trying to do work. And when I say past, I don't mean people are like, oh, get over the past and just forgive. He's still doing this. I need to access that device. And there's a ton of stuff that I would be uploading right now that's ready to go. All of my, uh, I have a lot of jobs that I want to apply for with all of my, uh, what do you call it, vocal reels on it. And this person, uh, and I'll say his name, Jason Mraz, um, is still um, playing with my devices so that I cannot do that. And at the same time, still whispering in corners, uh, why don't I finish projects? Maybe I could finish a project if you stop um, wasting your whole day trying to interfere with my devices and what my work is. You have no direction in life. You're waiting to see what I do. The person, by the way, anybody in this episode, um, I hope people can be fair-minded and understand that there are two sides to every story. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people that have uh, looked at Beyonce and seen a lot of stolen, stolen work um, that her team has not credited or paid people for. I'm going to say that it might not be all her that this could be her management, that this could just be the people that work for her that steal it and bring it back. And that's just what they do. I know that my ex writes for her and does this kind of stuff. And in terms of lemonade and uh, different looks and stuff, he stole it and he gave it to them. And he's still trying to shade me about what I need to finish. Um, I don't need, I'm not here to show you the way. If you stop stealing and you were the, the icon that you're supposed to be, and now I'm talking to anybody who the shoe fits, including Jason, if you're leading, then you're not sitting at home waiting for what I upload from my devices. So that for the public to understand is we're not living in 1984 where you're sitting around going, well, hi, y'all, you're not doing the work. Um, the work is, first of all, my work already, uh, the way that I work, and I don't need to explain to my detractors how I do my work, but put it this way, I have so much work already done. It's just a matter of me editing it and getting a chance to edit it and upload it. That's it. I already do the work as I'm doing it. These people are so dumb, they don't even know that. But when he is allowed to mess with my devices, sorry, you can't have it both ways, honey. You can't be obstructing my devices, trying to, oh, I'm going to slow her down. And then behind her back, I'm going to whisper in corners, oh, she has all this unfinished stuff. Well, gee, if you get your, your greasy hands out of my iPhone, Jason Mraz, if you get your nose out of my voice memos, maybe some stuff can be uploaded. Do you think? Why should I use some other methods that are not as uh, time-consuming? It's very time-consuming. The way that I'm doing this show right now on my iMac is very time consuming. Everything that I did here today, I would have been able to do in half the time, literally half the time on my uh, cell phone. And also he's interfering with my ability to, you know, this, I would be able to do this in a fraction of a time and he would ev only be even more angry, more angry 
that I can work so quickly and effectively. So he has a lot of mental and emotional problems that he needs to get over. Anybody remotely believing anything that he has to say, you need to get your head checked because I have my stuff on a schedule. Everything that I need to do for my audience drops at exactly the right time in the right way. And all he ever tries to do is screw it up. And you know, it's so funny. The most high works around him every time. When he delays certain things, it's an absolute blessing. Because when it drops, I go, oh my gosh, it was actually supposed to be now. So it doesn't really matter what he does. It doesn't matter. And I know he must be taking this to his psychologist. I know it's so upsetting for you, honey, but everybody can see you now. Everybody knows that you're messing with the devices. And I know you've got some of these uh, pastors that don't have the comprehension to understand anything. They're sitting there believing all your little lies. Oh, what would happen if you're, I'm not afraid. I'm smart. I know what I got and I'm not giving it to people that don't do the work, to people that steal and don't share credit. That's what's going on. And if you're really about integrity and honesty and you're so against theft, then you should all be standing up against people that do it because Jason Mraz is one of the biggest thieves out there and his girl is right behind him that he writes for. And that is, Somebody, somebody said something, somebody said, uh, the reason why a lot of the creativity is lacking is because you've probably got four or five people doing all of the writing. And these are not big thinkers. These are people that just regurgitate whatever it is that they see. And it's very, very slick. They're getting slicker. Slicker does not mean that it's more substantive. It really, really doesn't. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, you are not my husband. You are not my boyfriend. You are not my coworker. And you are not my employer. And you do not pay my bills. So what part of what my process is, how I upload, what I upload or when, what business is it of yours really? You know, and even if you come up with the money that you owe me for all of the songs for 20 years that you stole from me every single day and the production techniques that you're still using to keep your game um, from sinking in the toilet, even when you pay me that, I still don't owe you anything. So, um, yeah, wrap your mind around that. Um, I beat you, Jason. I got you beat. In the fact that you don't even see it. Or maybe you do and that's why you, you know, it's driving you to substance abuse. I don't know. Anyway, that was a low blow. I'm so sorry. Sometimes that truth just popped right out. I'm so sorry. Okay.